chapter 2, verse number 40. These are the words recorded here from the day of Pentecost. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, reads like this. It says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who received his word were baptized, and that day were about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Arrest us right now. Lord, let no distraction today steal this word. Satan, we bind you today. We serve notice on you. You have no authority in this place. We declare the word of the Lord to have free course in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we thank you for it today in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated this morning. Well, turn and smile at somebody real quick. Just tell them good morning, just in case you missed them. Amen. We're glad that you're here this morning on this first Sunday of 2024. It's kind of hard to believe that a new year has already rolled through and dawned on us like it has. Um, We're starting a brand new series this morning that I've entitled Digging Deep, Digging Deep. And my hopes is that in this new year to give each and every one of us some tools that help us have a more stable walk with God. You know, all of us should be endeavoring to grow and to go deeper and to go higher in our relationship with God. Do you agree with that? I think it's vitally important for us to continue to dig deep and to get our roots solid and planted so that we can be a flourishing person in the kingdom of God. So within the next few weeks, we're going to be uh, giving you all types of different uh, messages that the Lord has laid on our heart that's going to help you because as we mentioned, it's January. There's nothing magical about the calendar. However, it is a season where everybody's endeavoring to make changes. We talk about New Year's resolutions. How many of you know some of them, they don't last all year? There are a lot of people who make a declaration, I'm going to read the Bible through this year for the first time. And they get through Genesis and Leviticus, eats their lunch. And they stop and they don't go any further. And so we want to help you get the tools necessary needed to be able to do that. Some of you want to increase your prayer life. Some of you want to understand the principles of fasting and prayer. Some of you need to understand what it means to utilize and launch your gifts in the body of Christ. And so this month, we're going to really give you some information that I think will help you. But in the next few weeks, you're going to be getting information in the bulletin, on the website, on the app about our growth groups that are going to be launching on uh, February the 4th, and they'll be running through uh, May. But uh, that's our small group, our growth group ministry, discipleship ministry. And this morning, I want to talk to you from Acts chapter 2 from the subject, the value of community. The value of community. Would you say that with me? The value of community. Before we talk about the value of community, I think we need to answer the question, what is community? 
Community is a word that is a compound word, and it comes from two words in the English. It comes from common unity. Common unity. And so these things, these common unity, these common things that we actually um, uh, agree with, Webster's Dictionary defines it like this. Community is a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Let me read it again. It's a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and other goals. In other words, being in community with somebody is having a sense of fellowship with others that usually rallies around other people who have common interests and likes. Does everybody understand what I'm saying this morning? Community is common interest with other people people. That's why bikers, hello, hang out with other bikers. That's why people who craft, and you know, they like to sew and things of that nature, they hang out with other people who do such. People who are into exercise like to hang out with people who exercise because there's an innate human desire for us to connect with people who are like us in our interests. Golfers hang out with golfers. Gamers hang out with gamers. You understand what I'm saying? There are people that connect on common ground that enables them to feel like they are a part of a family or otherwise words, a part of a community. I want you to know something. That's why church is a community. Church is a community. God has designed this Christian life to be fleshed out and lived out shoulder to shoulder, eyeball to eyeball with other people in the faith. That's why the Bible refers to us in Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 as the household of faith. The Apostle Paul tells the church at Galatia in, uh, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, do good to all, but especially to those who are a part of the household of faith. I want you to know something today. If you're a Christian, if you're saved, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you are a part of the family of God. And that family is not meant to be lived isolated and away from everybody. You are to be a part of the family. Anybody ever raised teenagers before? Come on, raise your hand. Anybody ever been a teenager? All of us except for those who are below the age of a teenager can say yes. So sometimes raising teenagers, and I knew this even before I had two of my own, sometimes they just want to be up in their room by themselves. And if you were to leave them alone, they would stay out up there all the time by themselves, right? They would just be totally fine with you bringing their food and dropping it off in their room and, and, and putting the dishes outside of the door with a big do not disturb sign. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You've been there before. The only problem is most mamas and daddies, most scrambles and grandpas don't tolerate that because they say you need to be in here with the family because we understand that there is power in being yoked up in community. God has not designed any of us to be by ourselves or alone. He's designed designed us to be connected because the body, when connected to each other, brings life, somebody. It brings life. And so God wants us to be connected with each other. 
It's so important when we begin to think about those types of things. So last week, I asked some very important questions uh, online on, on our Facebook group and in a couple places. I asked the question, I said, why is being a part of the church important to you? That's the question that I asked. Why is being a part of the church important to you? I got so many different responses. I cannot list them all or maybe all even in their entirety. But here are a couple things that I got. All right. One person responded, uh, being a part of the church is important to me because of friendships. Everybody say friendships. I will tell you, it's better to find friendship in the church house than in the bar room. Right? If you show me your friends, I show you your future. You, you have to develop yourself. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, even so one friend sharpens the countenance of another. Here's another one. One person wrote to me and said this, it provides a sense of accountability. I get a word from the Lord and a sense of family. They said, I feel accountable to the body of Christ when I'm a part of the local church. Here's another one. Another person wrote and they said this. They said, I get edification and a fellowship. In other words, that means I feel built up, encouraged, and I feel like I belong. How many of you know that's important? Another person wrote, and they said this. They said, I get this out of being a part of the church. I get encouragement and joy and satisfaction in knowing that I'm being prayed for. Hello. Amen to that. Anybody ever glad somebody prayed for you? Uh, here's, here's one of our, one of our oldest church members. Here's what they wrote. Here's what they said. I thought it was so sweet. Miss Eileen said this. She said, a church is a place of peace where I can meet with all of my family, all of ages and experience life with them. Aren't you know, that's a blessing right there. Church is made up of the young and the old, the different age groups, the different demographics. And, and it's one big extended family. It's a place where we can come and rub shoulder to shoulder with each other and get to know each other in life. That's why it's so important, important to be a part of the local church, the family of God. Can I get an amen? Now, our text this morning is found in Acts, the second chapter. In Acts chapter 2, something so phenomenal has happened. What we have is we have the birth of the early church, the birth of the early church. Several, several years ago, uh, maybe two years ago, I actually preached through the entire book of Acts on Wednesday night. So a lot of you who were here have gotten a lot of the historical aspects of what was going on in the book of Acts. Luke, who was one of Jesus' disciples, wrote this, and he penned the words of Acts, and it's the historical account of the birth of the church. Um, Jesus had already been crucified, resurrected, shown himself alive, and the Bible tells us that these disciples had went to Jerusalem, to the upper room, where Jesus had told them to go and tarry and wait until they had received the promise of the Father. Those words, that very promise, can be found uh, uttered by the words of Christ in the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. He told the disciples before he left, go and tarry and wait there until you receive the promise of the Father. And so in Acts chapter 2, they had all went there, right? And they are in one place, one accord, and they happen to be at the time of Pentecost. Pentecost is one of the feasts uh, that Israel would celebrate every single year that would commemorate two things. It would commemorate the giving of the law and Pentecost. 
Pentecost also commemorated the giving of harvest. They would bring their crops and they would offer the Lord an offering during this time. So everybody who was able-bodied would come to Jerusalem at this time and give an account for themselves. And these 120 people whom the Lord had personally invited, he actually invited much more than that. You know, 500 people he invited to the upper room experience. 380 said, no, thank you. 120 said, yes, Lord. And they went to the upper room and they sought his presence. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, very familiar passage, uh, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that phrase there, fully come, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, is talking about a kairos moment. It's the set time on God's calendar. When it had fully come, they were all in one place, one accord. There came a sound from heaven. It was like a mighty rushing wind. They were filled the whole house where they were sitting. Cloven tongues, like as a fire, sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with tongues. You know the story. And there were people outside that were there for the, 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 uh, the feast. And the Bible says that Peter and the others, that same spirit that blew in that upper room, blew them out where the people were. And Peter, who was once a Christ denier, a Christ rejecter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches a dynamic message from the temple steps that day. And the Bible says about 3,000 souls were added. Can you imagine on the day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching and by one sermon, 3,000 people get saved all at one time. Talk about growth. The church was exponential in its growth, in its inception. I mean, just like that, boom. And they were baptized. And listen, we talk about 3,000 being saved. It actually wasn't 3,000. That was 3,000 men. That's the way it was counted in those days. That's why the Bible says it was about 3,000. That does not include women and children. And so what we see, though, is that Peter begins to preach. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he's calling them to a, a, a crescendo here. He's preached that you have rejected Christ, the Jesus that you crucified. He poured out all of this. And notice what he says here in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He says, and then Peter said to them, repent. Somebody say repent. That's a missing message in the church today. Peter said, repent. And then notice what he said, let every one of you be baptized in the name of or in the authority of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. By the way, that's not a formula, it's a command. He said, let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because of the remission of your sin. And notice this, he said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So these people are listening. They're on the edge of their seats. Peter is, as the old preachers would say, shucking the corn. He was preaching the word. And the, the people were listening. They fell under a blanket of conviction. And the Bible says that their hearts were pricked, which means they were convicted. And it says, what must we do to be saved? And Peter responded, "You first of all, you need to repent. And you need to be baptized. You need to, to, to pray and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so... I want you to see something. When these people were saved, there was an expectation for them to be baptized. That's why this morning I made the announcement. This is not for salvation. It's because of salvation. Hello. 
The water cannot save you in and of itself. Listen, it is an expression of an outward work of an inward change. It is the identification with Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and his priesthood. That's why we get baptized. That's why Jesus was baptized. And that's why we follow his example in his baptism. So what do we, what do we see here? They repented. They were, they were commanded to be baptized in water, in which, by the way, if you've not done that, I encourage you strongly today to follow the Lord in water baptism. And then he says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know, not only when we get saved are we expected to follow the Lord in baptism, there is an expectation that we would go on and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are you still here this morning? Can I tell you, if you're on the, the, the couch today on whether or not the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everybody, he kind of settles the issue uh, in the next verse. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 39. He says, but the promise is to you and to your children's children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And when he says will call right there, the idea is he will call them unto salvation. Hello, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everybody. If you're in this room this morning and you have never been saved, you can be saved. If you're in this room today and you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you can do that today. Yes, on a Sunday morning. Yes, at a few minutes after 12. It does not matter the place nor the time. You can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit today and God has it with your name on it. Today, you can be filled. It was an expectation in the early church. This is significant. The people who heard the word, the Bible says they received the word with gladness. That's found in our text this morning. Notice this. Look at what he says. And... Um, and they received the word with gladness and simplicity of heart. God totally, just radically woke these people up and caused them to be born again. Imagine this, 3,000 people in one day. How awesome is that? I would call that pretty good results, wouldn't you? These people were, were saved. They had heard about Jesus. They were repented of their sins. They got baptized. They received the Holy Spirit. So powerful. But the question we got to ask is this, what's next? What's next? Is this all that there really is to Christian life? Is to get saved, get baptized, get filled with the Holy Ghost, and do nothing. Is that really the end to the Christian life? And friends, this morning, what I want to tell you is that is exactly what this message is about today. That is exactly what this passage in the book of Acts today, that is not all. Yes, we need to be saved. Yes, we need to get baptized. Yes, we need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. But also, we need to get connected. Somebody say connected. We got to get connected. If you want to dig deeper in your spiritual life in 2024, I would suggest to you, you need to get connected to the body of Christ. You need to get connected to the body of Christ. You see, when we get born again, we become a part of the church. I'm so glad I'm saved. I'm so glad that I'm saved. But friend, listen to me. This is important. I know what I'm saved from. And I think most of us in this room know what we're safe from. 
The Bible says that we were lost and in darkness and we've been translated into the kingdom of light. We were destined for eternal hell. We have been transitioned. We got an address change. Hello, somebody. We got an address change. Now our eternal destination is heaven. We know that we've been saved from something, but what's even more important today is for us to know that we've been saved to something. So this morning, I'm glad you know what you've been saved from, but I want you to know what you've been saved to. You've not only been saved from eternal hell, you've been saved to become a part of God's family. Connected with the life of the church, something that is so much bigger than ourselves. But I want you to know something today. One of the major, major roadblocks that we get in ministry as pastors and leaders is that so many people try to make the assumption that I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I, I don't have to go to church. I am the church. Anybody ever heard that before? Well, there's some problem with that. I would say that we're not the church singular by ourselves. We are a part of the church. No different than your hand is a part of your body. How many of you know if you sever it and lay it on a shelf, it will be of no good use to you? Because the use of the hand only has functionality when it's connected to the body. Help me, somebody. That's why Paul said every joint supplies. you got to be connected because the foot can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. And the eye cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you. You may not realize this, but you need her and she needs you and I need you and we all need each other. And we need to be connected to the body of Christ to fulfill what God wants us to fulfill in these last days. We we have to be connected. We don't have to look alike. We don't have to smell alike. Hello. We don't have to dress alike. But if you're part of the body and I'm part of the body, we need to be together in community. That's the value of community. We see that it's important. But so many people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, you don't have to go home every night, husband and wife, to be married, but stay away too long and see what that does for you. It's going to strain your marriage. Take a fish out of water for too long, what's going to happen? He's not going to live. So the church, the community with the saints, notice now, is not the building, it's the gathering. It's not the building, it's the gathering. If the church gathers in the football stadium, then the football stadium becomes the church. If the church gathers in an open field somewhere, then the church is the church at that point. It's not the building, it's the people, but it's when the people come together. And so many people today have said, well, I don't need to do that. And, and so what we fail to realize is that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, you have the people of God going to the house of God. All the way from Genesis, Old Testament to New Testament, you have the people of God going to the house of God. Now, how many of you believe Jesus would be our greatest example? So, Anytime Jesus went to a new city, you know the first place he went? The synagogue. When Paul and Peter went to a new city, you know where the first place they went? The synagogue. The scripture says as their custom was, Jesus, as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Listen, if Jesus went to church, I think we need to go to church. We need to gather together. It's important for us to do that. See, I believe a connected church is a healthy church. 
And if we're the body of Christ, then we are connected, and we're connected with each other, then we are alive. Listen, there are five things, real quickly, out of this passage that I believe happens when the church is connected. Are you ready for these? The first one is this. Number one is found in verse 42. It's found in verse 42. Notice this. It says, and they continued steadfastly. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued steadfastly. Say that again. Continued steadfastly. Number one, the first thing that happens when we are connected together in community, number one, is that community brings regularity. Community brings regularity. I want you to notice that when these new believers got saved, they didn't just get saved, get baptized, get filled with the Holy Ghost, and stay home until next Sunday. That's not what happened. The Bible says that they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. This is important. Why? Because um, while later on in the book of Acts, these apostles did establish local churches, and in those local churches they appointed elders and pastors and those things, um, for the first little while in the book of Acts, these apostles were the early church pastors. They were planting churches and developing churches and setting leadership in place. That's what the apostolic function does. It, it, it roots up and it, it plants where there is no structure. They develop and they speak into it. And, and so these apostles, uh, we've got all of the ones that are listed in Scripture. And, of course, Paul came along later, but they were church planters. They were ones who were taking the gospel where it had never gone before. And, but in the process of this, these new believers were being taught— what, what the early church believes, what they believed about Christ, what they believed about baptism, what they believed about Scripture, what they believe about holiness and sanctification, all of these things that the apostles taught, the Bible says that they continued in the apostles' doctrine. This is important because as a Christian, if you want to grow deeper, you need to get rooted in the teachings of the church. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it. Amen. It's so important. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. In other words, they would get taught by the apostles, and then they would go, as Scripture tells us, and they would talk about it and dissect it, and they would uh, um, literally consume it and ingest it and break it down. That's exactly what they did. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. Somebody say the apostles' doctrine. I want you to notice it didn't say in their own newfound revelation. So many people want to have a little Bible study out of a church and not be submitted to the leadership of a church, hello somebody, and teach their own little thing. But that's not what they did in the early church. They were uh, accountable to the church leadership. And they came under the authority of the local church and they were making sure that they all spoke the same thing. Hello somebody. You can't have the church leadership teaching one thing and have people teaching something else. That's a breed for confusion. 
Hello, it's a brief or confusion. So they taught the apostles' doctrine. What's the church teaching? What's the church fellowshipping? This is why uh, in our small groups, many of them, we do allow some to do other things, but we do disseminate questions and, and study questions from our Sunday mornings because we want people to take this right here and actually learn it and flesh it out in their everyday life. See, to, this morning, I'm going to be honest with you, what's more important to me than you hearing a good sermon is to learn how to flesh this out in your everyday life. It's so important, so important. It brings regularity, regular study. And then here's, here's another thing. They continued with the apostles' doctrine, and what does he go on to say there? He goes on to say this, and fellowship. Somebody say fellowship. Fellowship in the local church is so important. And I just got news for you this morning. I love you. I love all of you. But when there's like 150 plus people in one room on a Sunday morning, can I just be honest with you? Three minute meet and greet is not enough time to qualify for fellowship. You need to fellowship outside of the local church. You need to fellowship in each other's homes, in the back room, at McDonald's, at Brahms. You need to fellowship in different places because that's what they did in the early church. Listen, people have asked me, Pastor, why can't we just do the group this way, that way? Listen, we're trying to get you outside of the church. Hello, somebody. We, the church needs to be like Elvis and have left the building. Hello. We need to leave the four walls of the church and take the gospel to the world where people are hurting and develop disciples in one one-on-one -on -one relationships so that we can launch people to the world. That's what the Bible teaches us. They met with the apostles' doctrine and with a fellowship, so they hung out. You know what fellowship is, right? I had one person say a good definition of fellowship is two fellows who are in the same ship. It's community. They, com they continued in community. I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. We go to the same church. We're part of the same family. We need to fellowship one with another. And then notice this. Notice this. He doesn't stop there. He says, and breaking of bread. I'm telling you, if you follow a church group long enough, you are going to find some food somewhere. And listen, we can say, well, it ain't about all this eating. Well, I agree we shouldn't be gluttonous. But the breaking of bread, in Jew listen, in Jewish culture, to invite somebody into your home to share a meal with you was uh, really close to being as intimate with the person as you could possibly be with them outside of a marriage covenant. To allow somebody in your home to sit at your table to partake of the food that you have brought together and prepared. It was important. And Jesus broke bread with his disciples and the other people. They broke bread together. They were always grabbing a lunch together, a meal together. And it doesn't just stop there. It says, and in prayers. So notice this. In the confines of church community... Outside of the weekend experience, you should be continuing in the doctrines of the church. You should be fellowshipping with one another, breaking bread, and you should be praying with each other. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have small groups. You see, because you get instruction from the platform like this, but you get discipleship 
like this. When you have to look eyeball to eyeball with somebody and say, how was your life? How's your week? How's your marriage? How's your kids? Can I pray for you? What are you struggling with? Come on. You can't do that in a setting like this. That's why the early church gives us a model. Hello, somebody. Imagine the Bible being a book of models to show us what we should do. So they met together. It was regular fellowship. Regular teaching, regular breaking of bread, regular prayers together. It was so important. And then they would come back together. Scripture talks about that. We'll get there in a minute. Here's the second thing that we see. Community not only brings regularity, but number two, community brings generosity. Look at verse 4 and 5. Sorry, verse 44 and 45. It says, now all who believed were together. And had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Community brings generosity. Now let me explain something historically in Acts chapter 2 right here. You can put that point back up on the screen so they can see it. It brings generosity. Here's the thing. When the day of Pentecost happened and all of those people were saved, you know, you've got to realize that some of those people, when they got saved, they, they lost everything. You, you do understand that Jesus of Nazareth was not popular <laughs> in Jerusalem. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they all thought he was a cult leader. They thought he was some other person claiming to be the Messiah, you know, and, and, and all of these people followed them. And, and so to equate Jesus as being God to a Jew was blasphemy. And it was worse, a worse enough offense that a lot of times, listen, you think about this, there were probably children who responded to Christ who were isolated from their parents. You say, well, I don't think that's possible. Listen, in Islamic culture today, if an Islamic son or daughter converts to Christianity, their family treats them as if they're dead. The culture in that day was was similar. You would have had... um, uh, Jewish men who worked for a Jewish businessman who gave his life to Christ and now because of his new profession of faith, that guy, listen, they didn't have OSHA and EPA and all of these laws that you had to go with today. They could just fire you for whatever reason. And so, oh, he's a Christian. I don't want him working for me. And so these people found themselves without jobs. They found themselves without homes. They found themselves husbands and wives possibly separated from each other. And so this early birth of the church, everybody found themselves in a very bad way. And so history tells us that this wasn't a permanent answer, but it was a temporary solution. It wasn't a continual form of what we would call communism, because the Bible doesn't teach communism, but the Bible does teach generosity. And in the early days of the early church, here's where the apostles' wisdom. You take all the extra excess you have, we're going to sell it all, we're going to bring it, and we're going to set everybody up so we make sure this family's got plates and dishes and you got a stove to cook with and you got a bed to sleep in. And, and, and so everybody shared, this was initially, right? Why? Because they were all one big family. Here's the principle that I want to show you. This is how it should be in the church. This is why the church should breed generosity, and this is why people should be a part of the church. Here's why. Because in the church, when you have a problem, I have a problem. 
Some of y'all didn't hear me. I said, in the church, when you have a problem, I have a problem. As you being a part of my church family, listen, I may not bail you out of every wrong spending that you've done, right? Like, if you went and gambled all your money away, I probably wouldn't just give you a bunch of money. But let me tell you something. If your house burnt down, I would be the first one as your pastor, leader, and brother in Christ to put something in the offering plate to help you. And I would hope that each and every one of us would feel the same way. I hope that we would feel the love one from another, that we don't just go to church together. We're part of a family. Hello, somebody. And that part of a family ought to bring generosity. In other words, when one part of the body is hurting, the other parts of the body should step up to help meet the need. Hello. That's why sometimes you hurt, sometimes I hurt, sometimes they hurt. But all of us should try to do our best to help each other. But listen, here's what I found. Today, some people don't need the church until they need the church. And then they go to the Hope Center, they go to the Salvation Army, and the first thing those people say is, have you been to your church? You know, Salvation Army, that's what they're trained to ask. They ask, have you been to their church? Have you been to your church? Nope, I haven't been to my church. Well, okay, well, which church do you belong to? I go to XYZ Church. Oh, okay, you go to XYZ Church. Well, what's the name of the pastor there? Oh, um, um. Listen, if you don't know the name of the pastor, you don't go to that church. That happens every day. And a lot of times we still help those people and the Salvation Army still helps those people. But what am I trying to say? There are benefits to being a part of a family. We look out for each other. The Bible says do good to all, but especially to those who are the household of faith. Your problem is my problem. We bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's what the scripture says. So here's number three. I'll go quickly. Community not only brings generosity, But get this, it brings unity. Look at verse number 46. He goes on to say this, so continuing daily, somebody shout daily. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So, I know we covered some of these, but here's what I'm trying to show you. Yes, they went together, they prayed together, they studied together, they ate together, all of those things. But listen what that brought. It brought unity together. Unity together. Notice it says they met daily in the temple. Now, that doesn't mean they had regular services in the temple every single day, because that's not what was happening, but there were different courts among the temple where they could fellowship, and these people were always coming together. Listen, isn't it a noble idea to want to hang out with people from your church? Amen. What am I trying to say? We ought to act like we know each other in Walmart. We ought to act like we know each other at the post office. We ought to act like we know each other when we go to the bank and, and, and make a withdrawal or a deposit. We ought to act like we know each other. And it ought to be a, a relationship because we see each other regularly. We're, we're eating together. Listen, people that you eat with regularly, listen, when you eat with people, it drops their walls down. You don't believe me? Have an important meeting 
at a board table face to face with a chair. It's cold. The atmosphere is different. And then uh, take that same meeting and have it over a, a, a baked potato or a steak or some food. Hello, somebody. The, 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 the walls immediately begin to fall. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Gladness and simplicity of heart. Listen, a connected church is unified in its vision. A connected church is unified in its purpose. A connected church is unified in its passion. And a connected church is unified in their praise. I said in their praise. Why do I say that? Because verse 46 uh, tells us, and praising God, verse 47 rather, and having favor with all of the people. Hallelujah. I'm telling you this morning, community brings generosity. It brings unity. Here's another thing community brings. Are you ready? Found in verse 47. And praising God and having favor with all of the people. Let me tell you something. Community also brings favor. Community brings favor. Listen, it does not mean that all the people have become reconciled to Christianity, but their humble and their serious and devoted lives won the favor of a great mass of the community, and it silenced the opposition and the situations that they were facing. It was a remarkable effort, and God had the power to silence the opposition, and there was nothing so well suited to do this than the humble and consistent lives of the people. Listen, let me tell you something. When the church is the church, when the church does what the church is supposed to do, when the church is about the community, when the church is about healing the hurts of people. When the church is about upholding those who are um, misabused and those who are rejected. When the church is about helping the misfortunate. Listen, it brings favor in a community. Listen, I, I don't know what kind of church you want to be, but the kind of church I want to be and our staff wants to be and I know that our board wants to be, we want to be the kind of church that when the community has an issue or a problem, we want them to come knock on our door. That's why we're in the school. That's why we're helping with DHS and foster care. That's why we're trying to do things around our community. Not so that we can have a name, but we want them to know that we're here. But in the process of letting them know that we're here, it gives us favor. Favor. See, there's two things. A church can either complain about its community or it can affect change in its community. And let me tell you, it's easier to complain on Wu-Town Review than it is to affect change. I'm not worried about if we're getting a Starbucks or an IHOP or whatever else they scandalously say is coming to town. I want to know about our homeless population. I want to know about our young people vaping weed at school. I want to know about all of the hungry and the hurting and the hopeless people in our community. Listen, that's what the church is supposed to be. Because listen, one snowflake cannot wreck an 18-wheeler, but a big ball of them stuck together can. We are better together and not by ourselves. Community brings unity. It brings favor. But here we go. You ready for this? 
crescendo. Community brings growth. It brings growth. Darren, you can come this morning. Community brings growth. I want you to look at verse 47 here. Oh, I want you to know something. You're accountable for what you know. God winks at ignorance sometimes. He did in times past, but the Bible says today he requires all men to repent. But God does deal with us. Sometimes people don't know, and once you know, you're responsible for what you know. But look at verse 47. The Bible says, praising God and having favor with all of the people. Notice this. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, this is important. Keep that verse there. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Well, there's a, couple, there's a couple things that we need to pull out of there. First of all, it was the Lord who added to the church. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's, it's the Lord's job to build the church. But notice this. It says, and the Lord added to the church daily. Somebody say daily. Uh-oh. What that means is that people are supposed to be getting saved on the daily. What that only means is that's not just the deacon's job. That's not just the pastor's job, the staff's job. That's not just the kids' worker's job. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. <sighs> Listen to this. What this means is, is that the way the early church was structured, people were getting saved, baptized, full of the Holy Ghost. Then all of a sudden, they were getting with groups together. And in those groups, they were studying about what they learned at church. They were praying together. They were eating together. Man, they were developing bonds and relationships. And then daily in the temple, breaking bread, fellowshipping, house to house, favor, praise, all of these things. And guess what? Somehow, in the middle of all of this fellowship, somehow in the middle of all of this praise, somehow in the middle of all of this coming together, there were people being saved. You want to know why? Because everybody was doing what Jesus said to do, which was to be a witness. Listen, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the initial, what the Bible calls the initial evidence is speaking with tongues. We can't argue with that. That's Acts 2.4, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. Jesus said, these signs will follow them. They'll speak with new tongues. Listen, it is the initial evidence, but it's not the only evidence. And listen, the purpose of that baptism in the Holy Spirit is so that you can be a witness. A witness. A witness. To Christ but listen here's what we've done hear me for a moment this is not an indictment but it is 
a, 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 a prescription here of what the modern church is. Here's how we set up the modern church in America. Get a pastor, get a staff, make sure they're trained, make sure whatever, they preach good, they have programs in the church, and they go out house to house, door to door, they knock on doors because that's what we pay them to do, and hopefully some of the people that knock on the doors, they'll come to church the next Sunday, and our church will increase. You don't find that in the Scripture. What you find in the Scripture is that the, the ministry gifts in the book of Ephesians, the Bible says he gave unto some to be apostles, some prophets, some pastors, teachers, and evangelists for the equipping of the saints. The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. You know why that's important? Because there's enough ministry for everybody. Doesn't mean you're called to be a pastor. Doesn't mean you're called to be a prophet. Doesn't mean you're even called to be a deacon. But there's enough ministry for everybody. And you know what your ministry is? Every believer has a ministry. I'm closing with this. You have a ministry to pray. Every believer. You have a ministry to give. Every believer. You have a ministry to share your faith with others. Every single believer. But aside from that, part of our Christian life as a believer is to be connected to the body of Christ. To be connected to the body of Christ. Why? So you can learn. Listen, I can't equip you to do the work of the ministry if you don't show up during equipping time. There are people that say, I just don't get fed at my church. Well, I imagine not if you come twice a month. I imagine not if you stay home on Wednesday instead of come to Bible study. I imagine not if you decide to not get involved in a small group. Listen, we can't make a person grow, but what we can do is give you the opportunities and create the environment for you to be spiritually strong for what you need in your, in your walk with God. And so this morning, my admonition to you is this. If you want to dig deeper in this new year, Get connected. Get connected. Find a place of fellowship with believers that's not just on Sunday morning. Find a place where you can connect, where you can grow, where you can be accountable to where you can get instructed and be discipled. And I promise you, your life will turn around. Everybody stand with me this morning.